0: I'm excited. I'm in uh, the fourth session, the fourth part of the lifestyle of a worshiper. And uh, been, usually I actually minister this whole message, all seven points, in one message. But the Lord has been downloading more and more. And I felt in my heart that we actually need to get into the story, into the word, into the Bible of what, what's actually going on. Instead of me just quoting one or two scriptures in a certain area to prove or justify or to to accept a point, I'm thinking, hold it. We've got people that are newer Christians. We've got people that are long-term Christians. But we need to hear the meat of the Word of God. Amen? And so that's what I've been been really focusing and pushing through on. Um, Our first Sunday that we started this series uh, was on victory. And it was about Jehoshaphat who sent in the Levite praise army before the battle. And so here's an army that is so big it would have annihilated the Israelites, way bigger than the Israelite army. And what does Jehoshaphat do? He hears from the Lord, this is important, every one of these people have heard from God, heard from the Lord and actually sent the worshiper, the praisers in. And so they're in their praising before the battle. And praise confuses the devil so much because honestly, the Israelites were backed into the corner. They were a done deal. Like they were going to be finished off at that, at that war if God didn't intervene. And uh, the, the singers went in praising, and they praised victory before they had the victory. And they praised God for the victory. Before the victory, it drove the enemy so crazy because they're like, this is not normal. How many of you know we're not supposed to live a normal life Unless it's normal in kingdom. The normal in kingdom? Praise God. But that looks really abnormal on this earth. And so they're worshipping. The army against them freaks out. Ends up killing everybody. They kill each other. Not one sword. Not one arrow thrown from the Israelite army. And the whole Amalekite army is dead. Finished. They just went in and reaped all the golden harvest. It took them three days to get all the plunder. That's a Look to someone beside you. I'm just feeling a little dead here this morning, feeling like it's a hot summer August day in BC, wondering maybe we should have gone to the lake. But, anyways, look to someone to your right and just say, You are amazing. Look to the left and say, I'm praying for you. No, no, just, I love you too. The second thing we talked about was breakthrough. You see, most people want breakthrough to have victory, but in the kingdom of God, you have to live in victory to have breakthrough. It's opposite. So most people on earth go to war to get the victory. And so you'll go to battle after the devil to try to have victory in your life, but it's actually backwards because the devil's already defeated. And the more you battle the devil, the more power you're giving back to the devil who's already been defeated. So you're actually raising the devil from the dead. You're actually putting revival into the devil's atmosphere instead of your own. Oh, we used to all go after devils. You remember? I remember years ago. Going after the devils. Look for the devils. Go, who's got the demon in them? Let's go after the demon. Why don't you just live God? Live Jesus Christ in you and let the demons look at you and go, run away and get out or spare my life. Have the victory. Live in victory first and then you'll see breakthrough. Just don't sit there praying for breakthrough without having victory. Oh, I'm so depressed. I'm so, I'm so angry. The world's coming to an end. Canada doesn't know what they're making decisions. America doesn't know about decisions. It's like we have to get out of the understanding that God God's ways are dictated by man's decisions on this earth. That is not a biblical understanding. God's ways are dictated by God, and the victory is already established. He's just looking for the victory walkers. Because when we walk in the victory, then you start seeing breakthrough. Third thing I talked about was freedom. Remember Paul and Silas in the jail. Good night. Here they are locked up in a jail. You know what the average Christian today would do if you got thrown in prison by uh, false accusations? Can you imagine if you were beaten and whipped and thrown into the jail by false accusations? Can you imagine the outcry you would have? Well, here's Paul and Silas in jail. What did they do? Oh, midnight, they're praying. They're singing. They're worshiping. The whole jail's listening and God's listening. And and freedom came to them. Why? Because they were living in victory. Doesn't matter the physical circumstances of earth, they were living in victory. Because they were living in victory, they had breakthrough. And the breakthrough gave them freedom. Part four I'm going to speak about today a lifestyle of worship. Remember, worship's not a sound and it's not a style of singing. It's not slow music. Worship is a lifestyle. What we did here this morning was praise out of a lifestyle of worship. We praise Him, whether you're slow praising Him or you're fast music praising Him. I know our terminology says, oh, well, let's do a worship song and let's do a praise song. It's actually bad terminology according to Scripture. Everything we do, whether it's fast or slow singing, is praise in the eyes of God. Worship is a lifestyle. So, we've gone for uh, victory, breakthrough, freedom, now deliverance. And this isn't about delivering somebody else. This is a deliverance for you and personally, individually. When we praise and worship the Lord, we will experience deliverance from demonic oppression. When you live the lifestyle of a worshiper, you will actually start to walk with no or less oppression from the enemy. He will try. Oh, boy, will he try. I guarantee you what happened on Friday night here with the young adults, that the enemy will try to knock them out yesterday, today. He's going to try to bring them down. Why? Because the devil saw that there was a victory starting to happen. And because he saw the victory in your own life starting to happen, all of a sudden he's going to start to oppress more and more and more. But you know what? When you live in victory, breakthrough, and deliverance, and freedom, you you don't actually have to succumb to the oppression of the enemy. And so when we experience this deliverance, it will be from demonic oppression. Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. And so they brought David to play the harp before him. David was known as a worshiper. If you think of any worshiper in this book, the word of God, the Bible, if you think of any worshiper person, who would you think of first? David. Because he had a lifestyle of a worshiper. And and so when he played the harp and worshiped the Lord, the evil spirit would leave Saul and Saul would be refreshed. That's what I want to talk about today, but I want to go back into the story before leading up to this. Years before, Samuel, young Samuel, had heard a voice of God calling his name as a young boy. Do we remember? And Samuel became a prophet of God to the people and anointed, actually anointed Saul as king in the eyes of God. And so here's this relationship with Samuel and Saul, and eventually it's going to be with David okay so here's samuel has anointed king saul as a king and so that's a great wonderful thing and then the, there was a victory that, that that happened and against the amalekites when saul was king and god had told him to kill the king kill everything don't spare anything kill it all and you'd say oh that's so violent but you see sometimes in life we have to kill everything of the enemy if we keep a little piece, well, we'll take a little plunder, take a little gold from the enemy's camp. When God says, destroy it, destroy it. That's kind of like saying, you know, okay, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. I know I'm, an al- I'm not personally, but I'm just saying, you, you, you finally realize that maybe you're struggling with alcoholism. Because if you don't think you struggle with it, an alcoholic will never be healed if they never admit personally that they have a problem. It's like a drug addict. You don't get healed unless you admit you have a problem. If you're a sinner, you won't be healed of it unless you admit you're a sinner and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So if you're an alcoholic, you're a recovering alcoholic, you've gone through it, you've been, you've been free, you don't, you don't keep a little bottle of rum or whiskey in your closet. You don't, you don't plunder from the devil's camp, the enemy's camp. Because honestly, it... it It, uh, you you don't, it's not that alcohol is wrong, it's that the overconsumption of alcohol is wrong because now you're drinking for the wrong reasons. You can go ahead and have a glass of wine, I don't care whether I do or or don't, that's none of your business. If I choose not to, I choose not to, that's the way I am, okay, period. But if you choose to, that's your choice. But when you start drinking to drown a problem, now we're into excess, and when you're into excess that isn't God, then that's where we get a problem. And so really, the excess of alcohol is created as a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. They actually call it spirits. Right? Alcohol, spirits. It's just the wrong spirit. You got a problem, get to the Holy Spirit. And it's up. The price has already been paid. You don't have to pay. You just have to pay with your sin and get rid of it. Listen to me, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I'm not saying you have to die on the cross. What I'm saying is if you want to stop drinking of the world, then eliminate sin. Get into the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So the problem is, is Saul was supposed to kill, kill the, all of the Amalekites, destroy them all, everything, every creature, every cow, everything, and, and the king, and he didn't. The people wanted to plunder. And so the people, Saul allowed the people to grab the money, the wealth, so some of the best cows and calves, and, uh, and he kept King Agag alive. Then God sent Samuel, because now we have King Saul not listening and being obedient to God. So where is Samuel? He Samuel comes, because God said, we gotta pull this guy down. He's gotta get out of kingship. And, uh, and so this is what happened. So, so then when Samuel came, he came, kind of reamed out Saul, <laughs> the king. And, but Samuel was a really great known prophet. So Saul listened, Saul admitted he did wrong, but he still didn't do anything about it. So he admitted he did wrong, but he still didn't change. What he should have done was he should have said, I admit it and immediately go kill King Agad. And immediately go tell all of the, the nation to get rid and kill all the cows and sheep that they stole from the Amalekite during the war. But he didn't. So who did? Samuel did. Samuel went and actually killed King Agag. Now we start. First, first Samuel chapter 15. So that's a bit of the history leading up to this. First Samuel chapter 15 starting in verse 35. And Samuel went no more to see Saul. So after he did this, Samuel left. He went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And all of a sudden, it pops out at me. The Lord regretted that he made King Saul king over Israel. Because of Saul's disobedience, the Lord regretted that he made him king. Now, think of that for a moment. Now, of course, we teach new covenant, love, love, grace, grace, everything's good. The reality is, is new covenant doesn't say that everything is good, that you can go sin whenever you want and there's going to be no consequences or nothing to your actions. You're going to be forgiven, absolutely. But if you go murder someone and you get caught and go to jail, you can give your life back to Christ, you can apologize, and you will be forgiven in the kingdom of God, but you might still have a consequence of serving time in the present. And so here King Saul, even though he had apologized, God regretted that he had made King Saul over Israel. And immediately, this emotional presence of God came upon me and I'm like, oh God, I don't wanna mess up. I, I don't wanna be disobedient. I want you to celebrate a son making good decisions. You have fallen ministers that have fallen into sin, you have fallen families, you have fallen men, women, gone through divorces, gone through stuff. You know, every minister that I know of that has fallen and crashed deeply into sin with a ministry, I believe that they're to rise up from the ashes and come back stronger than they ever have been before but their ministry might not be as big or the same or the influence, but then it could be in the grace of God. Only God can tell that. But when God hands a mantle to somebody and then you choose out of your weakness to live in sin and choose not to carry that mantle, that mantle can be given to somebody else. And it happens here. So can God still regret today? If God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, could could God regret? Whoa, I actually it's a bit messes with my kingdom theology. Maybe regret's a heavy word, but it is what the Bible used. Maybe he's saddened. Could he be saddened with us? Could 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 a mama and a papa, could, could my wife and myself if, if our kids made violent, drastic mistakes, knowing knowing right from wrong, but they chose wrong, could I, as a dad, and my wife as a mom, be saddened for our kids? Could we hand them the car keys maybe a little early and they total the car off and actually injure themselves or, or hurt somebody drastically or kill somebody? Could we regret that we actually handed them the car keys that day? Saul is still king of the people, but God had pulled the favor and spirit from Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Let's go there. 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. So remember, the spirit has been pulled from Saul. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel... How long will you mourn for Saul? You see, Samuel loves Saul. And he's mourning for this guy. Saul's not dead yet. Even though the scripture said, what the scripture verse 4 said, that Samuel never saw Saul until his death. But Saul is still king to the people in this verse. How long will you mourn for Saul? So, what Samuel is mourning is that Saul stepped out of obedience. So, Samuel is so heartbroken that he knew by God because God told him to appoint Saul king. So he knew by God that Saul had an anointing and he was to be king and and, and continue in that process. God does not appoint you as a king and anoint you as a king to fall. He's not a God to put you into a place so you fall. He's a God to put you into place so you now get the opportunity to choose the right way and to choose the right way in such power and authority that you will do the miraculous because God wants it to happen. Verse one again, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Who rejected Saul from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. You know what? One king is pulled because of disobedience, and God immediately puts the mantle of a king on someone who is obedient, who is a worshiper. You see, we don't know Saul is a worshiper. Nowhere does it say that he is going to be the greatest worshiper ever. But God was raising up another breed. Why? Because he needed to have a lineage for his son, the king. Now, possibly, it wasn't, I know it wasn't Saul's time. I think Saul should have been king longer in God's eyes. This is my interpretation. And David would have risen up in the ranks and been king eventually. But it would have been handed over a blessing from the older generation to the younger generation instead of a split. No church deserves to start on a split. If you're going to separate, separate with honor, with love walk it through, talk it through. But the last thing is to ever do is separate from your brothers and sisters. Verse two, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Why? Because the prophet came and delivered the word of God. Now, when the prophet brought it to Saul, Saul received it. But now Saul's had a chance to think about it and realize that this isn't doing so good. Matter of fact, there's a Philistine in the next chapter that's really messing with us. He's like really tall and bigger than any other man on the earth. And his name was Goliath. That's the next chapter. But you see, Goliath, it was literally one man holding Israel captive. Their whole army captive needed to have a king that was a worshiper to be able to take him out. And Saul was no longer that man. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you. Oh, great, take a cow. Oh, thanks, God. (laughs) And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. It's kind of twisty a little bit, isn't it? Isn't that like a little bit sneaky? Oh, that's Rafa. One of the names of God is a little sneaky. We don't like sneaky. You know what? Good sneaky's good. Jehovah sneaky. Jesus, when he went into the temple, because he was so defiled internally that people were defiling his father's house, he went in sneaky. We call it a covert operation. It's like a intercessors praying a covert operation. And Jesus went in and I think he kind of walked in and nobody thought anything about it. But he went in with a sneaky perspective. Because as soon as I get to the first table, I'm looking at my exit, I'm planning the strategy because I know if these guys catch me, they'll kill me too early. And he's looking. Okay, they're all occupied with the money. Sneaky. I love it. You go into the enemy's camp going sneaky. Ah. Take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You see, the Lord sneaky actually knew what was going to spare Samuel's life and get the job done. Verse three, then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. I'm not going to give you the plans because I'm sneaky. Oh, I can imagine what my emails are going to be saying. Someone's going to pull out Brent. Feels God is sneaky. (laughs) Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. But he didn't tell Samuel who. Samuel had to go in faith. He had to believe I heard from God and this is risking my life but God said I'll be safe if I take a cow and sacrifice. Verse four, and so Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And what happened? Look at this. The elders of the town trembled at his coming. They trembled at his coming and said, do you come peacefully, like should we run? He must have grabbed that heifer. He might have had it over his shoulders. I don't know how he came, but either way, the elders were freaking out. And he said, because you see, he knew that if God wasn't with him, he was going to lose his life. But it wasn't time for him to lose his life. Because God says, I'm going to use you to appoint king. And so he was obedient to God. And because he walked in the authority of the obedience of God in his life, the enemy he thought was going to kill him trembled. And it literally wasn't him, uh, I'm going to now sneak into the camp. It's now Samuel walking with the authority of God. And now what happens? He didn't go after the demons. He didn't go after the enemy. He wasn't, my sole purpose is to defeat the devils. You know what? If that's your purpose, I agree 100%. But it's not like, get out, demon, get out. i got going to look, you know. Someone's manifesting. Go after the demon. No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. If someone's manifesting, live so on fire for God that demon looks at you and starts screaming and comes out in Jesus' name? I'm not saying... I travel the world. Of course, we cast devils out and demons. Absolutely. I'm not saying you don't. But when your focus is looking for them, why? Because you're looking for them says they have power. They don't have power. So don't look for the bad. Don't look for the negative. Don't look for the things that are anti-Christ. Look for the things that are Christ. Look for the things that are God. Look for the things that are Holy Spirit. And so in verse 5, and he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice. Verse 8, and so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointing is before him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his physical appearance to find the anointing. You're going to think my haircut, I'm like Samson and I lost my power. (laughs) Don't look at the physical appearance. Whether you're big, small, kid, adult, retired, almost in your deathbed, it doesn't matter. Everyone's good looking in the eyes of God. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or or at his physical stature because I have refused him to be the king. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Where's your heart? Hopefully, it's the heart of a worshiper. Verse eight. And so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Can you imagine? Jesse's putting all his best sons or his firstborn sons or however you want to look at it. The ones he thinks are going to get it. He's putting them all forward. Verse 9. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And the Lord said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse's like, yeah, I'm running out of sons. Verse 10. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. What? Who, what kind of a prophet are you? Of course one of my sons. It's got to be one of my sons. No, that's not what he said. Verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? All your sons are here? Everybody? But you notice he said, Young men now. And then he said, there remains yet the youngest and there he is keeping the sheep but but he's just like 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 a teenager like he's just i'm adding now this is not in the scripture i'm just adding the possibility of what might have gone on uh yeah but that's like the smallest like the 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 youngest one and and our covenant says that the firstborn always got the inheritance and, and so why would you be well, because God's actually starting a process of changing the covenants. He's actually preparing the new covenant son through the bloodline of David. <laughs> like, that's crazy thinking. I'm sorry, I just, that's good, God, wow. And Samuel said to Jesse, Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes here in verse 12 and so he sent and brought him and now he was ruddy he was ruddy what is ruddy kind of reddish tingy might have had a slight reddish color in his hair uh and it says he had bright eyes which probably a nice light blue And he was good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Funny, interesting how Saul had the spirit of the Lord. And out of disobedience, the spirit of the Lord came on to the obedient one. The kingship was lost to a new king in the eyes of God. I know this is old covenant. I understand that. But the principles of the kingdom of God are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not the old covenant law. No. The sacrifice has already been paid and his name is Jesus Christ. Now David is anointed and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. God would probably have loved to have Saul remain king while David grew, but man's mistakes and not setting things right changed the course of history. Why? Because every decision we make changes the course of your history. You make a good decision, it will change the course of history. You make a bad decision, it will change the course of history. It doesn't mean you have to live in the condemnation of the bad decision. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's where Jesus Christ comes in, his death, his resurrection, and and all forgiveness has been given to us through Jesus through our salvation, through Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm saying is you make bad decisions, it will change your course of history because every second is, a, is history. There goes history. Like, I can't change what I just said two seconds ago. I can't change a sin I did three weeks ago or five weeks ago or a year ago. But what I can do is I can learn from it, grow from it, strengthen from it, so I sin no more in that because he who is in me has given me the power and authority to overcome every attack of the devil in my life. Am I perfect? Not yet, but I'm aiming towards it. There we go, cut it. Oh, Brent thinks he's perfect. No, are you kidding me? But you know what? I will say I'm doing better than I did 20 years ago, better than I did 30 years ago, better than I did three years ago. Because I'm growing in him. But because of Saul's disobedience, David advanced early. We talk about Billy Graham's mantle. He passed away. His mantle's ready to be picked up. I was very much a part of Bethel at the time when... when, uh, uh, When Bill's dad passed away, Earl Johnson, who Sharon and I knew personally, and he actually prayed over us all, and we had great long talks together and our kids, and and when he passed away, everyone was so sad. Obviously, a great man of God. But at the same time, his mantle was being picked up by thousands of students. I believe every student that goes through Bethel will have a part of the mantle of Earl attached to him. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So what changes history? Obedience. Good or bad obedience, it'll change your history. And history will always start to mark future. But only good future decisions will change bad history. It'll become testimony, but you can't change what was done, but you can change the effect of what happened. Later, David defeats Goliath after this. He got to Saul's daughter. Remember, Saul declared that whoever defeats this Goliath will have many riches and great riches. Later in chapter 17 and 18, we'll have great riches and, and we'll get my daughter. And so that's what happened in 17 and 18. Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes David's best friend. And then David's fame starts to grow. And Saul wants to kill David now because his fame is growing beyond David's. People are starting to sing You know what, Saul killed X number and David killed this many more. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. What happens when the Spirit of the Lord departs you? A distressing spirit is probably going to be upon you. And so if you're living in a distressing situation, a distressing spirit on you, I'm not saying a bad situation... I'm talking about a distressing spirit that is on you, then find out where God went in your life. Because he probably didn't leave. He just got covered up by choices and decisions in our life. So a distressing spirit departed Saul, and a, dist- oh, sorry, a distressing spirit, sorry, when the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. This always has intrigued me. This distressing spirit, who is it from? Who is it from? The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. I've researched that scripture verse to make sure that's what it actually means. And you know what, it is actually what it means. Verse 15, and Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. These guys are prophetic. They actually figured it out. Verse 16, let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's a skillful player of the harp and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. What, what are they saying? Let, look it, you're not doing so good with God and God sends a distressing spirit on you so let's get a worshiper. Let's get a lifestyle of a worshiper to come and hang out with you uh, so you can actually have freedom. (laughs) Why don't we send, God speaks, why don't we send Jesus to the earth so he can carry my spirit to the people and he will die on the cross and rise again, but he will carry my spirit. And when these people give their life to Jesus Christ as their living Lord and Savior, they will be empowered by my spirit. And you will no longer be living in the distressing spirits of this earth, but you will become the victory for the people that yet not understand. Verse 17, So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. In other words, I just don't want a junkie singer bring me a good one. Verse 18, because sometimes a junkie singer who thinks they can sing can be distressing. I just... Sorry, I'm a musician. So it's kind of like the guy that gets up who has never tuned his guitar. And he just starts playing and he's tone deaf. And he starts singing completely out of tune and the guitar's out of tune and they're going to come and worship. Why aren't you entering in? That's a distressing spirit has come upon me. I'm sorry right now. We don't ask for perfection, obviously not, but let's at least know a gift. Otherwise, that person, I guarantee you, is looking for their identity in a gift that they didn't carry. And that's distressing. Oh, man. Verse 18. And then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Do you not think that the rumor has gotten out as to what on earth happened to the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite? (laughs) It might not have gotten to Saul, but it sure got to these guys. But I actually think these guys are Saul's prophets. Who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war. He's not even been in war yet. Goliath is the next chapter. This guy's prophesying David's future. <laughs> I tell you, it's just crazy. I love the Bible. <laughs> Who is a skillful, skillful and plain, a mighty man of valor. He's a shepherd kid. A man of war. The only thing he's killed was some lions and some bears. Prudent in speech. We don't even know how he speaks. And a handsome person to boot. And the Lord is with him. So you can be a mighty man of valor, a mighty man or woman of war, you could be prudent in speech, you could be a handsome and good-looking person, but is the Lord with you? Verse 19, and therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat, He's trying to buy his son into the kingdom right now and sent them to his son David, to Saul. And so when David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer, verse 22, and then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me. In other words, let him hang out, let him stay here for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, which spirit The distressing spirit was upon Saul. David would take a harp out and play with the spirit of God on him. But play the heart with his hand and then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Can you imagine if we could go to our prime ministers, if we could go to our presidents, if we could go to our council people, if we could go to our mayors, if we could go to our business owners, if we could go to the pastors and the leaders and we could literally walk uh, with the power and the spirit of God upon us in such a level that we're not distressed on anything and anything else that is distressing to God will shift because of the environment you have chosen to carry. This is what we're talking about. This is, this is the heart of a worshiper. It's to not just change you, it's to change the people around us. It's to change the spirits around us from bad, evil, depressing spirits to the spirit of God and the move of his Holy Spirit across this land. God took David from a shepherd boy and promoted him to be king. The youngest son that in the inheritance world of the old covenant got really nothing. The youngest son was the wayward son. Not David, but the other story, wayward son and and he squandered all his wealth. I'm the youngest son. <laughs> I'm the youngest in my family. And I'll be honest with you, I was spoiled. Let's just face it. Chances are the younger kid gets a little more spoiled because the two, three, or four before, you're just tired of saying no, so you now you say yes. It wasn't spoiled with money. My parents were missionaries. We didn't have any money. But boy, was I spoiled with my mama's and papa's love. And my three-year-old sister, older than me, she got in trouble sometimes more than I did. (laughs) Until she learned to go to them first. And then I started getting in trouble. And I deserved it. Every spanking I got, (gasps) you were spanked, good night, I had the sticks broken across my butt, broomsticks. Your dad had an anger problem, actually no he didn't, I deserved them, I had the problem. When we praise and worship the Lord, we experience deliverance from the oppression of the enemy. You live the life of a worshiper, When you praise God in every circumstance, every minute of the day, every day, you will start to see the oppression, the attacks of the devil cease. Does that mean they stop altogether? Uh, The more you think they haven't, the more they (laughs) haven't. Yeah, but every time I'm hungry for God, The devil immediately starts hitting me from all sides. Well, thank you for telling the devil that. You just told him what to do. You just told the devil that if he attacks you on all sides, you won't be hungry. Devil, you are a useless, worthless entity. And you have been defeated in Jesus' name. And if you could have taken me out, you would have taken me out. But you know what? You can't. God will call me from glory to glory. But there is no way I submit to anything in the authority of the devil because the devil has no authority. In Jesus' name, you are defeated. If we don't live this lifestyle, then we're literally looking for the next oppressive spirit to nail us. As we pull on the garment of praise, we are delivered from the spirit of heaviness. Oh, what a tough week. I don't even want to get up and go to church. It was so bad. I can't get up and spend time with the Lord because I didn't sleep well last night. What are you doing? You're telling the devil how to take you out. We'll just keep you awake then so you won't spend time with God the next day. Why don't we just, why doesn't the enemy just convince you to stay out late, late, late Saturday night so then you're too tired to get up on a Sunday morning? Isn't it interesting? Huh. I tell you what, that's like me telling, t- saying to my wife, you know what? I am just too tired to be married to you today. <laughs> are you kidding me? Oh, I'm just carrying too much weight. I can't, I can't carry marriage anymore. What? So, so, so you're telling the enemy that the more down and depressed you are, that you will break covenant? Oh, here, here's the devil. Let me get a 1,000 pounds of garbage and just put it on your shoulder so you'll break covenant with God. (laughs) Tell you what, I'm not saying you can't have a bad day, but if you're having a bad day, then it's there so you can have a glorious day, that you can take bad and turn it to good. You can take poverty and turn it to riches. You can take sickness and turn it to healings. This is the will of the Lord in our lives. This is what he's calling us to be. Don't carry the spirit of heaviness. We have to mourn. You lose a loved one. Something goes, mourn. Absolutely, and we'll mourn with you. But my expectation... Is it when a death happens in your family or in your, your whatever it is, a death or a loss of a job that you thought was yours or, or, or your car broke down when it shouldn't have or you got in a car accident or, or, or something, or, or you lost your marriage and your husband or your wife is gone now or you've lost your kids to the court systems or whatever it is. I'm not saying don't mourn for it. Mourn for it. But God has not called us to live in a lifestyle of mourning. Mourning is but for a day, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, what I'm saying is, mourn absolutely. My mom, when she passed away, I was 25 years old. I was married for not even a year when my mom passed away. And I was there, I was there at the gravesite. I was there the last night of her life in the hospital reading scripture to her and praying with her. And seven hours later, she's gone, 25 years old. I think it was 25 years old. It's like, what? I- I'm not supposed to be losing my mom. Put her into the ground. That's not normal. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. My dad passed away when he was three days shy of 90. He's in the ground right beside her, but those are just bones. He's not there, she's not there. But it took me a year to cry for my mom. Well, real men don't cry. (laughs) Yeah, right. What a bad terminology. It was exactly a year. And I went up to her grave site, the backside of Mission. I kneeled down knowing that she wasn't there and I wept and I wept and I wept I'll still cry for her and I'll cry for my dad but the reality is is I can't live in the morning stages I have to change the day to the joy in the new morning M-O-U-R-N M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Mourn, absolutely. But don't live the lifestyle. When we live lives of worship, we're filled with powerful faith as we celebrate the greatness of God. Let's all stand. We sang about King Jesus. We been saying about on our knees, and I wanted to jump up at that moment and, and say, hold it, are we listening to the words that we're singing? And I felt at that moment that we need to just all get on our knees. But I thought, you know what, let's just hold. But I feel like the Lord is saying something right now. Whether it's in the spirit or it's physically, I feel like sometimes we just have to realize that we're we're not as big and tough as we all think we might be, that we really, really need Jesus. We really need the Lord to carry these burdens, to carry these decisions, to carry the processes of life, to take the stress away, to to take the depression out of our lives, uh, to take the sickness and the infirmities from bringing us down. And the symbol in in biblical days in the war was if you ever bow your knee, you're releasing your own strength into the authority of the one that you're bowing to. Which is why they wanted Jesus to bow his knee to the false gods, but he couldn't. But we're called to bow our knees to the father. And in doing that, we're saying, I, I am releasing my my own will, my own strength, my, my thought pattern that I can do this life on my own. I'm, I'm releasing it to you, Father. And why did they always go on their knee and bow their head? Because they're literally giving their life to that king in our case to the king because that king could take a sword and pop the head off but when we're truly living a lifestyle of our knees bowed before God he reaches down and grabs our face and says now you can look at me. Now you can come sit with me. Yeah. Now. now I can make you king. Some of us need to bow. It's not a bow or a curtsy like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> It's literally saying, God, I can't do it on my own. And I need you, Father. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit, so much in my life. So I'm going to open up this altar right now. If If you want to come up here and bow, go onto your knees and bow before the king. Not me, not me, not me. It's not my name. It's his name. And if you can't bow and come and sit in the front rows up here, whatever... But I just feel in my heart. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, now's a good time to receive him. And how do I do that? You just say, I believe in you, Jesus. Forgive me from my sins. And you will be forgiven just like that. We need to realize so many of us have been carrying these burdens even a distressing type spirit that has, keeps coming at us. Well, well, you know what? Give it all to God right now. Give it all to Jesus. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. Give it all to Jesus. Every day, I have to give it all. I can't even live a day without giving it to him. This is not to be, oh, let's just experience an emotional experience. no. This is between you and your Father. You and your groom, your bride. I actually see Jesus walking right now. In the spirit, I can see the, just pulling burdens off of backs right now in Jesus' name. the greatest leaders. They all know that they were not qualified to do what they're now doing. I've talked to Papa Bill Johnson personally years ago and he looked at me and he said, Brett, I never in my wildest dreams dreamt it like quite like this. Hey, you see, God's dreams are wild to man's understanding. They're big, they're huge. This is August of 2018. Some of you have been carrying the burden of your own children. You've been carrying the burden of your job or your work or your lack of. You've been carrying the burden of bad relationships. You've been carrying the burden of sickness in your life or something that's, that's been held, holding on to you. And I've, you know what? Some of you are carrying the burden of not having children. I can see it in the spirit. And I feel like the Lord is saying today, I am releasing you from that burden because that is not your choice. I am the giver of the blessings. Look to me, says the Lord. And I will be your strength, says the Lord. And so I ask today, Father, on this gorgeous day, here in beautiful British Columbia of Canada, I thank you, Father, uh, that we are not going to be Sauls, but we are going to be Davids. That we are being called out young old doesn't matter but we are being called out by you father because your son jesus christ died on the cross and rose again for our salvation and as we confess with our mouth that he is lord then we have salvation come to us forgiveness of sin and i ask you lord god that we will walk with such the heart of a worshiper that we are starting a new day today in the deliverance of the oppression of the devil in our lives, in Jesus' name. Devil, no more oppression in Jesus' name. You can oppress yourself, devil, but you are not oppressing us. We are fighters, we are warriors. We are called worshipers. Worshipers of God. Worshippers, we are living a lifestyle and we carry the victory.